Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm and friendly hello. Welcome to Love You Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a great podcast for you. As joining me today, we are going to be going out to the great state of Wisconsin, Ryan Horvath. He is a radio show host slash producer for 1250 ESPN out there in the great city of Milwaukee. As we know, the Brewers are doing an absolutely tremendous job. They wound up getting the win yesterday against the Chicago Cubs. So we're going to be talking about those Brewers. We're going to be talking about the frontline pitching. We're going to be talking about the lineup. We're going to be talking about the landscape of the NL Central as well. So that's going to be fun. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Sunday. As we touch them all, first things first, always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. If you got one of two ways, we will fire those in. My Twitter timeline at yours41. Keep in mind the letters ZM, they mean does not matter. Otherwise, find an Apple podcast for you. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. And we did wind up getting in one question today, so let's get into it. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight in to them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. We get this one in from Luke Murphy. You're able to follow him on Twitter at author L Murphy, and he asks at GNRS41, do you take 
lineups into account before placing your bets. For example, Javi Bias of the Chicago Cubs did not wind up playing today. Did you take that into account before posting up your odds? And this is certainly something that I do take a look at, but when it comes to like one position player being out, it's not going to be significant. And especially in this case with Javi Bias really slumping, he's been able to hit a couple home runs for the Chicago Cubs. Quite honestly, getting back Nico Horner wound up canceling out any sort of loss that you wound up having with Javi Bias, unless if the guys like Mike Trout, Fernando Tatis Jr. was a little bit of one. It's not going to make a world of difference. You're going to shade it down a little bit, but it's not necessarily too big. When it really becomes big is when you wind up having multiple guys are out. I still remember a couple years ago, you wound up having teams that they would be benching like five of their position players. Now, that is something that is significant, but if you wind up having one guy that's out of the fold, so let's take, for example, the Kansas City Royals. If you wind up having Salvador Perez out, that's going to be big, but it's not necessarily because it's bad. It's because he winds up calling a game very well, so that's a little bit of a different situation, but let's say Whit Merrifield winds up getting the day off. It certainly is going to affect the Kansas City Royals a little bit, but it's nothing to where I'm going to be making a quantum leap on the game. I would be shading it like 10 cents downward a little bit more. Maybe you wind up taking a little bit off the total. So if you were at like an 8 exactly, you shade it down to like 7.9, 7.8. So that's something that I certainly do, but it's not like I'm making wild changes when you wind up having one position player out. It's really when you wind up having multiples. So hopefully that answers your questions and hopefully we are able to get more answers with regards to this crazy baseball season as we wound up seeing some very fascinating games on Saturday. So let's take a look back at them. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game through yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. The aforementioned Kansas City Royals were able to take down the Detroit Tigres by kind of two to one in this one for the Royals. They didn't necessarily get a lot of hitting as they went one of four with men in scoring position. Matthew Boyd was hurt by some bad fielding in this one as in the fifth inning the Royals played two. You had one play that was officially marked as an error by Victor Reyes. You had another little bit of a mishap. Now Willie Kaiser was able to get his first home run the campaign that came off of Brady Singer in the fifth and for Singer that's a lone run he gave up over the course of seven innings. Scott Barlow, Josh Simone were able to take care of business from there and then for Boyd. I mean he winds up taking the loss giving up two runs one of which was earned over the course of eight innings. Jose Cicerno was able to give a scoreless inning for a Detroit Tigers bullpen that wound up being dead last in the big leagues entering into this one but now the Royals 12 and 7 overall and the Tigers well they are 7 and 12 and they've got the league's worst run differential at minus 33 so things are not going well there things are going very well for the Seattle Mariners they're now 13 and 8 they wind up taking on the Boston Red Sox by a count of 8 to 2 Chris Flexen has come back from South Korea and he has looked very good in this one. He winds up giving up one run over the course of seven innings. He had Will Vest come out of the bullpen. He wound up giving up a run himself, but by and large, you were able to get some very good production out of him. And then Keenan Middleton also came in for an inning, but for the Seattle Mariners, Corey Seager was able to give you three RBI, and then you were able to get a home run in this one as well. Sam Haggerty winds up going deep. That was his second home run of the campaign for Boston. Nathan Evaldi, not the start that he was looking for. Five runs given up, four of which were earned over the course of five innings. And the bullpen of the Red Sox, which I think is really going to start to regress. Well, it started on Saturday as Josh Shaler gives up a run while recording five outs. Phillips Valdez, he winds up being able to get four outs. He gives up two runs in the process. And for the Red Sox, a team that's hitting very well, they just weren't 
weren't able to get much off of Chris Flexen and company. The Milwaukee Brewers didn't necessarily need a ton of offense, and they got just enough to be able to overcome the Chicago Cubbies. This by a count of 4-3, to three, the final for the Brewers. Manny Pina was able to get his second home run of the campaign. They came off of Andrew Chafin. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise that he gave one up in for Freddie Peralta. Swing and miss stuff was there. He just wasn't long for this game. He gets seven strikeouts, but he winds up allowing two runs in the process. But the Brewers' bullpen was able to hold it down. Devin Williams is not necessarily looking like himself. 675 ERA. He gives up a run in this one. And that run was a solo home run provided by Jason Award, but J.P. Frierson came in for an inning. Brent Suter gave you two good innings, and Josh Hader closes the door. He was able to get his fourth save of the campaign, and the Brewers overcome going 0 of 9 with runners in scoring position. The Cubs, they went 1 of 8, so they weren't necessarily better. Edbear Alzole winds up going 4 and 2 thirds innings, giving up two runs, but it was Andrew Chafin that ultimately took this one to away as Ryan Tapera, along with Dan Winkler, Brandon Workman, and Rex Brothers all were able to come in and all came in without giving up runs. So by and large, Cubs bullpen has been solid aside from Andrew Chafin. The Pittsburgh Pirates, they looked very solid on Saturday. They take down the Minnesota Twins by a count of 6-2. Trevor Kale, a very good start. A guy that wanted to rebirthing his career while out there in San Francisco. Rough start to the year as he's currently got a 7-11 ERA, so he's open giving up runs, but only one run given up over the course of six innings. Then from there, Dwayne Underwood Jr. gives up an under run, but Richard Rodriguez, Kyle Crick, they wind up closing the door. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, pair of home runs in this one. Kevin Newman gets his first of the campaign along with Michael Perez, so that was big for them. As for the Twins, Michael Pineda turned into Michael Pineda. Gives up five runs, four of which were earned over the course of four and a third innings, I will say. Both he and Devin Smeltzer, who goes four and two-thirds innings, gives up one unearned run. He was solid. We're hurt by the fielding. Ore Palunco winds up committing an error along Jake Cave. And for the Minnesota Twins, they just didn't wind up having a lot of offense in this one. It's really been Byron Bucks and Nelson Cruz and Josh Allenson providing in the middle of the order. The back half certainly has not necessarily been holding up their end of the bargain. The Cincinnati Reds offense did not wind up holding up their end of the bargain. They're now averaging 3.1 runs per game on the road compared to 7.75 at home. That's a ridiculous split. And they got shut out by a count of 2-0. For the Reds, Wade Miley, a good start. Gives up two runs over the course of six innings. That's what you're looking for out of a little bit of a back end of the rotation guy. And then you had Eth Embry along Sal Romano. Give you a scoreless inning. But for the Cincinnati Reds, three total hits in this one as it was John Gant who wound up delivering six scoreless innings. Genesis Cabrera gives you an inning. And then Giovanni Gallegos, the two-inning save. And for the St. Louis Cardinals... They went just one of eight with men in scoring position, but they certainly were able to do enough to be able to get the job done, got a little bit of contact off of Wade Miley, and that's all it took. All it took for the Washington Nationals was two runs, but they got a lot, a lot more than that. 7-1 the final. They wound up taking down the Metropolitans for the Nationals. Joe Ross actually looking quite solid after he missed all of last season. Six innings pitch, gives up one run. That one run was a solo home run provided by the Mets by Mr. Michael Conforto, his first of the campaign, and he certainly did a better job than Marcus Stroman. Five runs, four of which were earned, given up over the course of four innings, gave up in the process eight hits. And then from there, you wound up having Robbie Gazelman give you three scoreless innings, which that's a little bit of foul money right there. Steven Tarpley gives up two runs without recording it out there, and then you wind up having Jersich Familia Spanish for blown save, not blow anything because he didn't give up a run along Jacob Barnes, but for the Nationals, just a lot of small ball in this one. No home runs hit, but you even had Joe Ross getting into the act. He was able to give the team an RBI. Ten total hits for the Washington Nationals. That's what you want to see with Juan Soto currently out of the fold. In one of the biggest oddities that you're ever going to find, the Houston Astros wound up getting a 16-2 win, and that's not even the oddity. How about what wound up happening in this game? As Kent Emanuel winds up pitching eight and two-thirds innings of two-run baseball in relief. 
Jake Odorizzi threw five pitches in this one, got an out. He had to leave due to injury. And then Emmanuel from there, eight and two-thirds innings out of the bullpen. And for the Houston Astros, Carlos Correa gets his fourth home run the campaign. That came off of Griffin Canning. And then from there, you just wind up having a bludgeoning. Alex Bregman, his sort of campaign off of Canning as well. And then Kyle Tucker. Goes for his fifth home run the campaign. And it was a position player that served that one up in Anthony Benboom. As Canning, he was out long for this game. He got canned after two and a third innings, giving up six runs, all of which were earned. Junior Garrett comes in for a leaf. Not very relieving when you give up four runs, three of which were earned over the course of an inning. Steve Ciszek, he got four outs, gave up three runs in the process. You wound up going with two and a third innings of Ben Rowan. He gives up a run. And for the LA Angels, pair of home runs in this one. Shohei Otani is sixth of the campaign. Albert Pujols is fourth. And for the Angels, you wind up having Mike Trout out of the fold once again due to injury. And Jose Altuve has yet to return for the Astros as well, but they clearly did not need him. If you wound up taking the first five of two and a half under, this was a tough one. Yankees wind up scoring two in the fifth, and they win by a count of two to one. So full game, no sweat under, and the first five, a little bit tough. But for Garrett Cole, he was terrific in this one. Seven innings pitch, gets 11 punch outs, gives up one run in the process, and then from there, Jonathan Lewis got four out save, and Justin Wilson gave you a pair of outs as well. Pair of home runs was able to be the difference maker for the Yankees in this one. Aaron X and Rudin Adar both get their third home run in the campaign off of Shane Bieber, who was terrific in this one. He gives up the two solo home runs, but seven innings pitch, gives up two runs, nine punch outs. Brian Shaw, James Karinczak, they come in for an inning apiece, and for the Cleveland Indians, just nothing doing on offense. One of six with runners in scoring position, only three hits in this one, so they were held down once again. The Tampa Bay Rays were able to take advantage of the Toronto Blue Jays and their pair of errors. Five to three, the final for the Blue Jays. They wind up erupting for three runs in the first. Randall Gritchick hits a home run off of Brent Honeywell Jr., his fourth of the season, and then from there, nothing doing. They wind up going two of ten with men in scoring position. Robbie Ray, he gave up a pair of home runs, giving up three runs in total over the course of six innings going deep for the Rays in this one. Mark Brasso is second of the campaign, and Mike Zanino is fourth for Honeywell Jr. Gives up three runs in his inning as the opener. And then from there, Ryan Yarbrough, the bulk guy, five and two-thirds innings of scoreless baseball. Ryan Thompson gives you four outs, and Andrew Kittredge winds up giving you the save. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, they were hurt by the fact that you wound up having a very bad Kevon Vigio fielding error. It's fifth of the campaign, and for the Toronto Blue Jays bullpen, which has really been the best out there in baseball, you had a not-so-sharp appearance from Jordan Romano as he winds up giving up two runs, one of which was earned over the course of a third of an inning. That wound up being the difference maker in this one. The Oakland A's difference maker was the fact that they were playing against the Baltimore Orioles. 72 the final. They have now won 13 straight games after starting 1-7. Jed Lowry is third home run the campaign. He has been brought back to life. And Chris Bassett had the Orioles hook, line, and sinker in this one. Gives up two runs over the course of six innings. You wind up having J.B. Wendell can come in for a pair of outs. Diolius Guerrero was able to come in, and he was able to pitch a solid inning, and Adam Kolarik was able to give you four outs out of the bullpen as well for the Orioles. It was pretty much a bullpen game. Wade LeBlanc, who was a starter, was converted to the bullpen. Well, if they were expecting any length here, it was crushed because he gives up four runs while recording five outs. Then from there, you have... Mr. Tyler Wells come in. He goes two innings. He gives up three runs. From there, everyone else was actually pretty solid. Dylan Tate gives you two scoreless innings. Sanders Scott gives you a scoreless inning. Adam Plutko gives you an inning. And Sean Armstrong gives you four outs as well. But for the Baltimore Orioles, offense is not looking good at this point. They are one of the worst teams in pretty much every offensive category. Got 10 hits. Wasn't necessarily able to do a lot with them. Speaking of a team that wasn't able to do a lot with a bunch of hits, that'd be the Texas Rangers. They wound up having 10 hits with no runs going into the ninth. Willie Calhoun winds up hitting a solo home run in the ninth to be able to tie things up. That was 
was his first of the season, but the White Sox are able to walk it off 2-1 to the final. Liam Hendricks wound up being the guy that wanted to be giving up that home run. He had thrown one and two-thirds innings the previous day, so that was a little bit curious, but for Dallas Keuchel, terrific start in this one. Gives up seven hits, but in six innings, doesn't give up a run. Cody Hewer, Aaron Bummer both give you a scoreless inning as well, and for the White Sox, they didn't necessarily have a lot of power in this one, and for the Texas Rangers, you have to like the fact that Kyle Gibson gave you six innings and gave up one run, but it was a reliever, John King, that was left in here too long. He was on his third inning when he wound up giving up that walk-off hit for the Texas Rangers. Two and two-thirds innings, he gives up one run. Not sure why the Rangers are going with so many long relievers, but that's the way that they're going about it. If you wound up having the under in Giants versus Marlins, which was seven, this was a brutal push. It was one-to-one going into the ninth inning. The Marlins are up for four, and then the San Francisco Giants get a Mikey Strzemski home run his fourth of the campaign to be able to get a push on the total. Five to two, the final. The Marlins are able to get the win. Jesus Aguiar winds up hitting his second home run the campaign. That came off of Mr. Gregory Santos, and then John Birdie earlier in the game goes deep off of Kevin Gosman, his first of the season. And for Gosman, he was terrific. Eight innings pitch, he gets 11 punch outs. Then from there, Santos winds up giving up three runs, and Wandy Peralta gives up one as well. And for the Miami Marlins, Pablo Lopez, a very good start. He winds up giving up one run over over the course of six innings, and then from there, you have Anthony Basket, Joe Klein, and Sinker, scoreless inning, Don Floro, scoreless inning, Yimi Garcia gives up that home run to Mikey Stremski, so there was that. The Philadelphia Phillies took advantage of the fact that Yuli Shasin came in out of the bullpen of the Colorado Rockies, and they win by a count of 7-5. Going deep off of Mr. Ulysses Chassin in this one. Reese Hoskins, he also went deep off of Antonio Sensatella. His fifth and sixth of the campaign for Chassin. He winds up giving up three runs while recording just two outs for the team. Why he still has a job, I don't know. Antonio Sensatella, he wasn't much better in this one. He gave up four runs over the course of five innings. And then from there, the bullpen was able to stabilize. As you had Tyler Kinley give you a scoreless inning. Ben Bowden was able to give you four outs. And Jordan Sheffield gave you a solid inning. But for the Colorado Rockies, you were able to get a Ryan McMahon home run, his seventh of the campaign that came off of Aaron Supernola, who does wind up giving up four runs over the course of seven innings, but from there, Hector Neris was able to give you a scoreless inning, Connor Brogdon, he holds down the fort for an inning as well, so they were able to get the job done, and then out there in the city of Los Angeles, it got a little bit hairy late, but the Dodgers get the job done by a count of five to four. For the Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr. goes deep not once but twice. His fifth and sixth of the season and four home runs in two games against the L.A. Dodgers on the road. That's pretty darn impressive. Blake Snell, you know what else is pretty darn impressive? This guy is considered an ace. And the last time he went six full innings was July 21st of 2019. Five and a third innings, he gives up two runs. From there, Pierce Johnson winds up throwing lighter fluid on the game. He does not record an out. Gives up three runs for the Dodgers. Played a lot of small ball in this one. They wound up getting 12 total hits. They did not wind up getting a home run, but they were able to just move guys around for Trevor Bauer. He gives up three runs, two of which were earned over the course of six innings as it was Will Smith who wound up committing an error out there in the field for the Dodgers, and he did give up those two Tatis Jr. home runs, but Victor Gonzalez gives up a run on the bullpen while recording one out, but Blake Trine was able to clean up the MS. He gave you a solid inning. You wind up having Scott Alexander give you a third of an inning, and Kenley Jansen, things are always adventurous when he's out there, but he was able to do his job, so that is what we all wound up seeing from Major League Baseball on Saturday. Now let's turn the page forward to Sunday, and let's get a little bit of an NL Central on the Milwaukee Brewers feel on this podcast. Ryan Orbit does a great job as a radio show. It's out there with 1250 The Fan in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He's going to be joining me next to talk some Brewers. We're going to be looking at today's Cubs versus Brewers game. We're going to be taking a look at the NL Central as well. And that's on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Dave Peterson.
Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our next guest. This is a man that ails out there in the great state of Wisconsin. He does some work for 1250 The Fan. He does some producing. He does some radio show hosting. He has been all over the place recently and does an absolutely terrific job of following not just all the Wisconsin teams, but just following the national landscape of things like the NBA, MLB in general. As it is, Ryan Orvid joining me on the podcast here. Able to follow my Twitter. Easy enough, Ryan Horvat. I will spell that last name for you. H-O-R-V-A-T and Ryan, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Craig, thanks for having me, man. How you been, buddy? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. And you know what else is doing pretty great? The Milwaukee Brewers. Well, that is when they're not giving up 15 runs to the Chicago <laughs> Cubs. But with that said, it's actually been a very good run for the Milwaukee Brewers to begin the year. And I think it's so intriguing because with the Brewers... The offense hasn't necessarily come around. You've had Christian Yelich out for quite a while, but because they were able to get the win on Saturday, they're finding themselves at 12-8. and eight. They're towards the top of the division, and I really think that this is a Brewers team that they could really ascend, they could really decline. I'm not necessarily sure what to make out of this team because, well, the lineup is still a little bit of a disaster. But with that said, I mean, if you wind up continuing to get the pitching that you do, it's going to cancel out so many of the deficiencies that you have. Yeah, and Greg, absolutely. And that's a great point that you make right there because the lineup right now, you're dealing with some injuries right now. Christian Yelich has a back injury, which anytime anybody's dealing with a back injury, I begin to worry. It's like in hoops, man. Anytime a big man has plantar fasciitis or any type of foot injury, I really start to worry. But with a back injury, that's the type of thing that could linger all season long. And it looked like it was just an issue that flared up. But then Saturday in Wrigley Field in Chicago, Christian Yelich goes back home. He's going to get a second opinion or get it reevaluated. Whatever is going on with this back, we don't really have a whole lot of information on it right now, but it doesn't look great. And anytime a player is dealing with a back injury, I do start to worry. Uh, Lorenzo Kane also dealing with an injury. That's why I did not hate the Jackie Bradley Jr. pickup. You know, when a lot of people said, well, Jackie Bradley Jr., this team needs offense. You're adding another defensive glove into the outfield when you already have Lorenzo Kane. Problem with Lorenzo Kane is he's not getting any younger, and I love him. He's one of my favorite players, probably in Major League ba- Baseball history, man, because he just doesn't get the respect I think that he deserves. He has one gold glove, and he's one of the best defensive outfielders, and I'm not just saying that as a homer. For how many years, you know, even in Kansas City, was he underrated? But, you know, he, he's been banged up the last couple of years. Uh, last year, he opted out due to COVID. Uh, the year before that was dealing with some injuries. Like I said, not getting any younger. But with him and, El- uh, him and Yelich dealing with these injuries right now, definitely some room for concern with the offense, but they continue to find a way to win games and to score runs. Billy McKinney, you know, not exactly a household name, but he's been stepping up. The other night it was Jace Peterson. I've been talking about this a lot on the radio show here in Milwaukee. If they continue to find ways to win games and they have the pitching rotation that they have, if you look what Corbin Burns is doing, nobody's done this in Major League Baseball history. 40 strikeouts, no walks. It's been ridiculous. He's not even your day one starter. That's Brandon Woodruff who... Finally looks to be healthy. Last year was dealing with some injuries. The year before that had an oblique injury. You know, this rotation, if they're able to stay healthy, you know, even Freddie Peralta didn't have his best stuff. Brewers go down to nothing, but they pick up the victory. So if they continue to win games, Greg, I ask, are they going to be maybe buyers at the deadline? You know, you look at what Colorado is doing. They're selling off parts, obviously. I don't think that they would be looking to move somebody like Trevor Story and the Brewers. I don't know that they're looking at shortstop, but if you could add another bat to that lineup and maybe another arm to that bullpen, I think they could, could, I think they could contend in the National League. 
I don't know if we could take them serious as World Series contenders just yet. You know, I don't think you could throw their name in the conversation with teams like the Dodgers or the Padres right now. I do expect the Braves to get hot here eventually, maybe even the Nationals with that rotation. But if they continue to find ways to win games with this offense and with that rotation with Brandon Woodruff and with Corbin Burns, who right now has to be in Cy Young conversation, if it wasn't for Jake DeGrom being the best pitcher I've ever seen in my life, he probably would be the favorite. It's early, short sample size, but they look good so far. I certainly agree with you. The Brewers have looked tremendous to be able to begin the season with their pitching. Like you said, offense, a little bit shaky, but being able to get back Colt Long as well, I think is very big. As we do have Ryan Horvath joining me on the podcast. And Ryan, when I take a look at the landscape of the NL Central, I do think that it is fascinating because we've obviously talked about the Milwaukee Brewers. The Cubs are a team that they looked absolutely terrible last week on Sunday Night Baseball. They've actually been able to look a little bit better this past week. They were able to take that game over the Brewers on Friday, 15-2. to They won some games against the Mets. You take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. I don't know what they're going to be, but it feels like every single year that you count them out, they wind rising up to the ashes. If you told me in every single year on my 28-year lifespan, on this planet, in which we wound up having 162 games, that they won between 84 and 91 games every year. I would believe you because they always just seem to be right there. And then the Pirates are actually playing some decent baseball. So, I mean, it really leads to the question, what is the landscape of this entire league? Because you take a look at the Reds as well. Many people have them as a favorite, but their pitching is looking very shaky, and they're just not the same team away from Great American Ballpark. Yeah, the NL Central, man, is really up for grabs. Like you just said right there, I feel like, Greg, I mean, we've just been around. We've been watching baseball long enough, and we've been watching the NL Central long enough. It doesn't matter if you're a Milwaukee Brewer fan or if you're a Chicago Cub fan. I don't know many Pittsburgh Pirates fans. But like you said, they have a sneaky team, and I think they're going to steal some wins this year in the NL Central, like they've already done this year. You always worry about the Cardinals, and they always figure it out. They always, if it's not signing big free agent names or making trades, like I still don't understand how they ended up with Nolan Arenado, man. They gave up nothing, and they still made money in the process pretty much. But (laughs) I always worry about the rotation, about the bullpen, but if they're in contention, which we know they will be at the deadline, they'll make a move, they'll add another bat, they'll add another arm, they'll add a closer, they'll add another arm to that rotation, and they're going to be there. So it's hard to bet against the Cardinals. The Cubs are a really weird team because, like you said, the beginning of the season they couldn't hit the ball. I don't really understand. Kyle Schwarber didn't really work out for them. But to pay Jack Peterson pretty much the same amount of money that you would have paid Kyle Schwarber doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then they get rid of you Darvish for pretty much a bag of chips. So I just don't really understand what the message was to that ball club because a lot of these guys are in their final year. And what's crazy about the Cubs is, man, they won the World Series in 2016. And they did it probably a year too early where Chris Bryant was coming off being Rookie of the Year. Then he wins MVP. Javi Baez wasn't even on the big league club the whole year. Contreras, all those guys were like 25, 26 years old, even younger than that, 24, 23. We know what went down with Addison Russell. But it looked like the Cubs, and this is how weird baseball is, Greg. It looked like the Cubs were going to be around for a decade, man. It looked like that was a dynasty. But since then, all those guys kind of regressed. Pitchers kind of figured them out, like with Javi Baez, Throw them fastballs. With everybody else in that lineup, throw them off-speed pitches. They can't figure it out. I was talking about this on the show the other day. They'll have a month where they look great offensively, 
But the problem with the Cubs the last couple of years has been their bullpen. And their bullpen is worse than ever. And they move you Darvish to San Diego. They bring in Zach Davies. They bring in Jake Arrieta. This version of Jake Arrieta in the year. This isn't exactly Cy Young Jake Arrieta. We know what he did in Philadelphia. So I'm kind of out on the Cubs. But I do think, obviously, you know, like, they're going to steal some wins. The Pirates are going to steal some wins. But as far as true contenders in the division, I think it's going to come down to the Brewer, the Brewers. And I think it's going to come down to the Cardinals. The reason, as you hear me pacing around this house, is because that was a big win for the Brewers. you got to steal these wins. And that's what I call it right now, is stealing these wins. While Christian Yelich is out of the lineup, while Lorenzo Cain is out of the lineup, and you're relying on guys like Billy McKinney and trying to find ways to really manufacture runs without just hitting the long ball. You know, it's Manny Pena, who's your backup catcher. That's what it's going to come down to, though. It's going to come down to who steals the most wins because, again, like you brought up, we don't really expect a whole lot from the Pirates, but the Pirates are a sneaky team where they will steal some wins. You know, the Cubs are going to score enough runs in a couple series. They're going to get some good pitching still from guys like Kyle Hendricks. I think the Central's up for grabs. I mean, I played a ticket early on the Brewers just because I like the number better and because I do think that Corbin Burns is the real deal, Brandon Woodruff's the real deal. If Freddie Peralta could be as good as he's been this first you know, a little part of the season, and you could get what you've got from guys like Adrian Hauser. You know, I think they're going to be good enough. And also in the bullpen, a lot of people are worried about the Brewers' bullpen. Obviously, you know, guys like Corey Knable gone, Jeremy Jeff- Jeremy Jeffress. But I do expect Devin Williams to be just fine. We have to remember, he was Rookie of the Year. He's dealing with an injury. He's finally coming back. He's getting healthy. And I think Josh Hader is the best closer in the National League. So, again, man, I think I have to go with the Brewers, and that's not a homer pick. It is going to be so interesting to see what winds up winning out because if you're looking more offense-based, probably going to be the Cincinnati Reds. Pitching is typically a little bit more long-lasting. That goes to the Milwaukee Brewers at this point. But as we know, we've right now got a 20-ish game sample size. And we've seen teams like the Mariners, for example, in 2019 get off to that 13-2 and start and then wind up fading from there. So it is all fun and games in the first month. And we're really going to be finding out more about these teams in the coming weeks as we do have Ryan Orvitt out there with 1250 The Fan in Milwaukee joining me on the podcast. And you mentioned Brandon Woodruff a little bit earlier. He's going to be going on Sunday against, ironically enough, Jake Arrieta. I think that this is going to be an intriguing spot because you mentioned it. On Saturday, the Brewers were able to get a nice win. On Friday, the Chicago Cubs were able to host the Milwaukee Brewers. And I do think that this is a relatively important game because you're taking a look at the Brewers right around minus 135 minus 140 ish favorites as we wind up doing this looks like the wind is going to be blowing in I'm seeing some very low totals on this one and I do think that this is going to be the type of game in which the Brewers if they're able to hang three maybe four runs on the board they should be able to take it with their ace Brian Woodruff who I really think has become one of the better pitchers out there in the big leagues because he does a good job of pitching on the road. Yeah, and you know what? It's kind of like a tricky spot, and I I do like the Brewers in this spot, obviously, Greg, but I guess I kind of ragged on Jake Arrieta earlier, and so far he's looked pretty damn good, but we got to remember like two of those starts were against the Pittsburgh Pirates, so we need a bigger sample size, but I feel like maybe going back home to Chicago where obviously he had the Cy Young success, the World Series success, might be a good thing, but I would look for, I think that's an excellent spot for the Brewers. You know, you worry a little bit because it's getaway day because they don't have everybody in the lineup, but I would look to the under in that game. See, it's so, it's so, like, anytime the Brewers and the Cubs do meet, I tend to play the unders in these games. We kind of see the same thing in all these games the last couple of years. Really good pitching, not a whole lot of offense. I feel like it's always like kind of the same game where you're going to get haters going to take on Rizzo in a big spot, maybe one on, two outs. 
as I look at like spots where I'm getting Brandon Woodruff really against anybody, it doesn't matter even if it's on a road or a road star or Corbin Burns, I'm playing the Brewers, man, because I feel like still the market and a lot of like the national media is sleeping on these two. Now Corbin Burns is becoming a household name, which is kind of crazy, Greg. I know you know you grew up in Milwaukee, so you probably obviously have known about Corbin Burns, but a couple of years back he looked like he was going to be the real deal. And then after the Brewers go to Game 7 of the NLCS, they fall to the Dodgers. They go into the year, and they really bought into the young pitchers, Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns, and he really had a rough year a couple years back. I mean, he bounced up and down from the minors. Then last year, he found it, but last year was kind of a weird season. Obviously, with the pandemic, it was a 60-game season, but he looked great. This season, early on, Again, the numbers are ridiculous. Nobody's done this in Major League Baseball history. He has 40 strikeouts. He hasn't walked anybody yet. The other night, he struck out five different hitters on five different pitchers. Like, I can't even do that in my Major League Baseball to show video game. I feel like you get great value anytime him and Woodruff are on the mound. And what's crazy is, and and maybe it has something to do with the lineup, especially with Yelich not being available and Kane right now. We're not even paying too high of a price when we do get him on the mound. So Woodruff had a couple of rocky starts to start the season, but I think he'll be just fine. I do agree with you. I do think that the Brewers should be able to get the job done in this spot, as we do have Ryan Horvath joining me on the podcast. And Ryan, is there any other team in general that you've been really impressed by so far this baseball season? Obviously, we mentioned the Milwaukee Brewers. The entire American League is right now up for grabs. I mean, it's been absolutely ridiculous to watch that, as we know. Dodgers and Padres is going to be going down on Sunday. That's going to be a lot of fun. But is there another team or two that you've been watching so far this year? And you're like, man, this team might have a little bit of staying power. You know, in the AL right now, I think I'm going to continue to back the A's until they lose a game, Greg. They're on fire right now. You know, it's crazy because early on I was like, oh, the Mets are still a disaster. And then last week we were like, oh, the Mets figured it out. And they're actually maybe possibly going to get some run support for some of these guys. That's not the case anymore. Now I'm out on the Mets. I mean, the Dodgers are so darn good that I really have a hard time uh, picking anybody but the Dodgers. And, you know, the White Sox have been up and down in the American League. I have no idea who's any good in the American League, like as crazy as that sounds. I do not have a clue. One team I'm kind of buying into a little bit early on, I don't know if they're World Series contenders. I mean, I know they're not World Series contenders. I don't know if they're playoff contenders is what I should say. They did make the postseason last year. In fact, they knocked the Cubs out, and the Cubs didn't really do a whole lot against them. But is a gambler just betting baseball every single day and every single night, Greg? I love the Marlins, and they're so undervalued. A guy like Trevor Rogers, undervalued as far as strikeout props. I continue to hammer those. I really enjoy the Marlins. I think they're building something kind of nice there, and I would not be shocked. Like, I played their season win total over, but as far as if you want to find some value on betting underdogs every single night, it's them. And I would not be surprised if they found a way to sneak their way into contention. Now, again, that's a tough division. I do expect the Braves to pick things up here and get it going. I'm more like, as you ask that question, like, who am I buying into? Who do I like? I think it's going to be the Dodgers and the Padres, you know, kind of hanging around in the NL. I do expect, especially when the Padres get healthy here, just with that rotation, adding Darvage and adding Snell. I'm more like shocked at who's been struggling out of the gate. I can't believe how bad the Yankees have been. You know, I can't believe, you know, early on, again, like the Mets keep bouncing back and forth. I really don't know what they are. 
kind of just been more surprised at some how how bad some of these teams have been to start the season, really. I really have been surprised by that as well. And to your point with the American League, it certainly has been a little bit of a crapshoot to see who's all been able to do well slash not well at the beginning of the season. The Boston Red Sox get swept by the Baltimore Orioles, and then they become one of the best teams out there in that league. You've got the Seattle Mariners doing battle with them, and they're above 500 right now, so... It's just a big, giant mess at this point. But one thing that is not a mess is knowing what you're going to be able to get out of Ryan Horvath. He always brings it on 1250, the fan out there in Milwaukee. And I know that you're doing some other work as well. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just what you're all doing in general. Yeah, give me a follow over to Ryan Horvath on Twitter, which is R-Y-A-N-H-O-R-V-A-T. I always got to spell that out. I got a weird last name. Do uh, BetQL daily. So I'm on there a couple days a week. And then, yeah, I'm still on mornings. Pretty much every morning, uh, and sometimes on afternoons, as I told you, Greg, I've been bouncing around. It's been a weird year, man. I mean, we got people using vacation, people getting vaccinated, then they're out a couple days, and people getting sick. So I've been on the morning show, I've been on the midday show, I've been on the afternoon show. I've kind of, I've been the ultimate team player this year. It's been a crazy year, but I'll tell you this, man, I really am excited to get back to normal. And the most beautiful thing I've seen in Major League Baseball, Greg, probably in the last five years, was last weekend watching that Dodgers-Padre series where it just seemed like maybe it wasn't 100% capacity, but that just felt like a big postseason game, even though we're in the first couple weeks of the season. Seeing the fans in attendance again, it felt so good, man. I am right there with you. It (laughs) has been great to be able to watch those Dodgers versus Padres games. We've got more of that coming up on Sunday, and it's great that Ryan Orvith has become the ultimate 5 to a player for 1250 The Fan, in which he does a little bit of everything. He hosts all those shows at various times a day. He does some production work. I wouldn't doubt it if he's selling hot dogs at the hot dog stand during his <laughs> break. So he does a little bit of everything and brought it on this podcast. So big thanks to Ryan Orbit out there in the great state of Wisconsin for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you a signed total on every game on the Sunday MOB betting board as we touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. A big thanks to Ryan Orvin doing absolutely terrific work out there with 1250 AM, the fan producer and host over there in the great city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Sunday as we... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScourty1. As per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. That's where we just wind up going with the National League games first, then the American League games, and then we've got one interleague game. And you do also want to note that a couple of these teams have to be determined pitchers. So there are going to be a few games in which I just don't have set numbers for. So there is that. We begin with I'm 51, I'm 52 on the betting board. Washington Nationals set the road to face off against the New York Mets. Going for the Metropolitans, it is Taiwan Walker. Meanwhile, Patrick Corbett is on the bump for the Nats. Nats, anywhere between plus 140 and plus 145 underdogs. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Metropolitans, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 153 and minus 160. Now you take a look at this one, and Patrick Corbin wound up having a good start his last time out, but he is still off to a really rough start to begin the year, giving up over a run per inning. That's not where you want to be. 1095 ERA, 12 and a third innings, 7 
seven walks, four homers, though. You do want to keep in mind, first start wound up being against the LA Dodgers, so that's going to hurt you a little bit there, but then you take a look at the flip side for Taiwan Walker. Ever since he's gone to New York, he's been relatively solid. 0-1 record, but a 3-21 ERA. He hasn't necessarily went deep in his starts. Four and a third innings or fewer in each out of his last two, but certainly getting swings and misses in his 14 innings, 19 punch outs, 11 walks is something that he needs to work on. And when you take a look at the bats, bullpen is not terrific for this team. You got Jurisage Familia, Spanish for blown safe, Robbie Gazelman, Trevor May, Aaron Loop, a bunch of guys that you don't necessarily want to be relying upon. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Washington Nationals. The bullpen has actually improved a little bit for him. Brad And is someone that is able to give you a solid inning. Danny Hudson is able to do a good job as well. You even take a look at someone like Kyle Finnegan. He's been able to do a rock-solid job now with the Nationals. Offense is lacking. Juan Soto is currently out of the full, but you do have Josh Harrison, who's hitting well above a 3 iron. Sterling Castro, along with Trey Turner, down for what both hitting in that neighborhood of a 275 to a 300. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of the catcher's spot as well. Whenever you don't wind up having the gentleman that wound up playing yesterday in Alex Avila, he's been a little bit tough, and Kyle Schwarber has yet to pick it up with the batting average. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Metropolitans. The ancillary guys have been able to get it done for the team. J.D. Davis, Brandon Nimmo, both hitting right around a 400, and Luis Galorme, whenever he's gotten at-bats, he's been solid. Guys like James McCann, Dom Smith, Pete Alonso, they're in between a 235 and a 250. Francisco Lindor needs to get it in line, but Michael Conforto getting his first home run on the campaign. That is something that is solid for this team. I do think that Taiwan Walker is going to be the better starting pitcher in this one, but I think that this has gotten up a little bit too lofty. I want to making it that way. Anywhere in the mid-130s would be a take on the Washington Nationals. We're getting north of plus 140 here, so that's appealing to me, so I'm going to be taking that. I want to saying this one at 8.6. I think that even without Juan Soto, the batting average overall of the Nationals is solid, and they're going to be able to drive a couple guys in and get Taiwan Walker out of the game and be able to hit that bullpen. So we're taking the over, and the Nationals on the money line. We've got an interesting situation here with 9.53, 9.54 on the bidding board. It was supposed to be Diamondbacks versus Braves. This specific rotation number has been canceled because you wound up having a right now with the Diamondbacks versus Braves. It's now a double dip. And we're going to go right to it right now. 981, 982 is going to be Zach Gallon versus Bryce Wilson. And then you've got 983, 984. That is going to be Madison Baumgartner and Drew Smiley. Both of these games currently do not have any numbers up on them, so I'm going to give you guys my thoughts on the double dip. And if you're taking a look from a time order standpoint, the first game is going to be involving Gallon and Wilson. This is 10.20 a.m. Pacific on the start time, 1.20 p.m. Eastern, and then the Bumgarner versus Smiley start is going to be number two, but I've got different favorites in both of these games. In game one, I want to make Zach Allen a minus 126 favorite of the Arizona Diamondbacks. In game two, Drew Smiley of the Braves made him a minus 152 favorite. And if you're looking Bumgarner versus Smiley, anything below an 8 is going to be a take on the over. Meanwhile, anything above a 7 in Gallon versus Wilson is going to be a take on the under. I take a look at Zach Gallon and this Gallon versus Bryce Wilson game, game 1 in the double dip. This is my New York Post play of the day because with Gallon, in his 29 career starts, 27 of them have seen him give up 3 runs or fewer. He has been rock solid. Meanwhile, Bryce Wilson is a guy that has really won 5 innings or more in just 4 career starts. We all remember the nice start they wound up having against the Dodgers a couple years ago, but so far this year has already given up two home runs and seven total hits over the course of five innings. Gallon has looked a little bit shaky coming off of injury. Six walks and nine and two-thirds innings, but also 14 punch outs. And for these two bullpens, they are very comparable. I think that you're going to need much less of it in the Arizona Diamondbacks side in game one because you are going to be able to get out a lot out of Zach Gallon. And if you're taking a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks in general, you are missing a couple pieces. Quitao Marte, the Marte Parte, is currently out of the fold, but Pavin Smith has been able to give you a little bit of something. I like what you're able to get out of Willie 
Calhoun. He's sitting right around a 260. And then you've got David Peralta who's been able to step up as well along with Carson Kelly. Sitting a 340 for this bunch. Meanwhile for the Braves, Ronald Acuna Jr. is back. But in his first game back, 1-0-4. It looks like he's still dealing with some injury concerns. And then you take a look at the Braves in general. Colin Pache has been missing for quite a bit. So you've got quite a few guys that are less than trustworthy out there in this lineup. Alex Jackson, Marcelo Zuna, Ozzy Albies, Freddie Freeman, Dansby Swanson. All guys hitting a 210 or lower. They're going to be able to pick it up. I just don't think it's going to be against Zach Allen. I do think that it's going to be against Madison Baumgartner, who ever since moving to Arizona has been giving up right around two and a half home runs per nine innings in his Arizona career. Has north of a 70 ERA. Meanwhile, for Smiley, it's not like he's necessarily been lighting the world on fire with his 573 ERA, but he is someone that he's just really suffered from giving up hard contact. Three home runs given up in 11 innings, but only nine total hits at one walk. So he's been able to hold down the fort. And for the Braves, even though the bullpen... ERA is comparable to that of the Diamondbacks. I do have a little bit more faith in them. You do have a guy in A.J. Minter that's very solid tether. Madzik has been a little bit of a mess, but Luke Jackson, guys like this, are able to get the job done. So, in this spot, I'm going to be taking the Arizona Diamondbacks, and that is going to be my New York Post play of the day with Zach Gallon in 981-982. Like I said, 7 or higher is going to be a take on the under, and then in Game 2, I'm going to be setting the Diamondbacks as a plus 152 underdog, so that means if Smiley is a minus 152 or less than that, so minus 151, minus 150, what have you. Going to be taking a look at the Braves, and with this total, set it at 7.6, so anything that is 7.5 or lower going to be a take on the over. 9.55, 9.56 on the betting board is up next. We are on to Cincinnati, and they are on to playing against the St. Louis Cardinals as the Cincinnati Reds, the road team, send Luis Castillo to the mound. Meanwhile, Captain Jack Flaherty is going to be on the bump for St. Louis. Cardinals are finding themselves as favorites anywhere between minus 119 and minus 125. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the red legs, anywhere between even money and plus 115 is your price here. Total on scheme is 7.5. Over and under, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. For Castillo, he has been vastly different home to road. Throughout his career, he has a walks per nine that's a little bit north of four when he's on the road, and his ERA is a full point higher. So, that is a important split. Meanwhile, Captain Jack Flaherty, towards the end of the 2019 season, was rock solid. Beginning of the 2020 season, did not necessarily go as planned, but you take a look at it, it seems like he's getting back to his old form. He has given up three earned runs over his last three starts. Now, there were quite a few unearned runs that he wound up giving up against the Washington Nationals in his last start, but three earned runs in his last three starts, going between five and six innings in all of them, and he's backed up by a bullpen that... I don't know if I would call it great, but at the same time, guys like Andrew Miller, Giovanni Gallegos have been solid. Jordan Nix has come off the COVID list from last year. He did not wind up playing at all. He's he opted out of the season. He hasn't necessarily been able to find it, but for the St. Louis Cardinals, he's got some good consistent inning for the team. Tommy Edmond, Dylan Carlson, Nolan Arenado, only between a 265 and a 275 ball Goldschmidt has been in a little bit of funk. And Tommy O'Neill, Paul DeYoung, along with their new right fielder in Justin Williams, need to pick it up a little bit with batting average, but for DeYoung, he has been able to go deep five times already this season along with Carlson. And then for the Reds, they lead the majors with regards to runs per game, but a lot of those are coming at home. At home, they're averaging over eight runs per game, nearly half of that on the road. Now, Taylor Naquin has been a nice find for the team. He, Jonathan, India, both hitting right around a 260. He's got six home runs. And then you've got Nick Cassianos, who's been absolutely terrific for the team, hitting just below a 300. Seven home runs. He has been able to do the job, but you take a look at Eugenio Suarez, 271 on base, but a buck 53 batting average. Kyle Farmer has it done a lot for you. The entire catcher spot for the team has been relatively rock solid, but then you take a look at the bullpen as well. It has been a little bit of a disaster because Cam Bedrosian was supposed to be a good relief for the team. He wound up getting sent down to the alternate site. He was so bad, so that is not necessarily going to be helping out this team. I take a look at the inconsistencies 
home to road of Luis Castillo, and it does cause me to make this seem a little bit more of an underdog. I wound up placing this as the Reds at plus 117, so the fact that I'm able to get away with laying less than minus 120 in a couple spots with the St. Louis Cardinals as a minus 115 just popped up at Circa, that is very appealing to me. But this total, I set it at 7.3. The Reds' offense is just vastly different home to road, so in this spot, I'm going to be taking this total under, and I'm going to be laying it here with the St. Louis Cardinals. We move on to 957, 958 on the bagging board. The Milwaukee Brewers hit the road to face off against the Chicago Cubs. Jake Arrieta is going to be going for the Cubbies. Meanwhile, Brandon Woodruff is going to be on the bump for the Brewers. Only Heritage, it looks like, and also Circa has a total on this game. It is 6.5 at Circa, 7.5 at Heritage. Minus 110 both ways on both of them. So, you've got quite a range there. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Milwaukee Brewers, you'll be finding them anywhere between minus 133 and minus 140. Meanwhile, with the Cubs, your plus price here is anywhere between plus 120 and plus 128. We were talking about it with our good buddy Ryan Horvat, and that is the fact that you do have a Brewers team that is really coming through with their pitching now. You do want to know, Josh Hader and Devin Williams both went into yesterday's game, so that is going to be hurting them a little bit, and then you take a look at what you're all able to get in general out of this Milwaukee Brewers team. It's been a little bit hit or miss when it comes to bad, so I wound up setting the total at 6.8, so if we wind up getting mass six and halfs like we're getting right now, going to be taking that over on the seven and a half. I certainly would be taking a look at that under. I've got to think that we're probably going to get more seven and a half, so that's where I'm leaning there, but when you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Brandon Woodruff in general, he's been able to be a good swinging miss guy. Man, at the same time, he does a good job of not issuing walks. Last season, he was a little bit tough when it came to the amount of hard contact that he wound up giving up. 23 innings, he's given up 11 hits, no home runs, 6 walks so far this year. He's been tremendous. And Jake Arrieta, you know what? I mean, he has 8 walks and 22 innings so far this year, but a 286 ERA, he's been relatively respectable. This is a Cubs bullpen that they certainly are far from terrible. Craig Kimbrell has come back. He's looked very solid. Now, Andrew Chaffin is someone I don't trust him, but he's actually had some solid results so far this season. Dan Winkler has actually been good out of that bullpen as well. And then for the Brewers, you're going to need to rely upon more of the, I guess you could call them less than trustworthy guys. Someone like a Brad Boxberger and a Brent Suter going to be able to go in this one. And then for the Brewers in general, I just don't know who you wind up trusting. And when it comes to the lineup, Colt Wong is now hitting at 260. Ever since he's come off the injured list, he's been great. And then you've got two guys in Omir Narvaez along Tyrone Taylor, who at the top of the lineup are doing a good job of being a reach base. But Manny Pina, Travis Shaw, Kessinier, Jackie Bradley Jr., Luis Urias, all hitting a 215 or lower. And for the Cubs, well, you certainly have some question marks with this team as well. Now, Chris Bryant hitting a 309 is absolutely terrific. And Nico Herner has come back, and he's looked very solid for the team. Jason Aver was able to get a home run yesterday, but he's hitting a 222. Matt Delphi's at 217, Anthony Rizzo. 354 on base by 235 batting average. Ian App, he has just not been able to find it. This is a team that they're currently dealing with an injury to Javi Bias, and it really doesn't affect them much because Javi Bias was doing absolutely nothing as well, but I do think that with the Brewers having to use up all their bullets in the bullpen yesterday, it is going to provide a little bit of value here with the Cubs. I need at least plus 126 to take them. We are seeing at circa plus 128, so I am going to wind up taking that. And like I said, with the total, set it at 6.8. Gotta think that we're going to be getting more of these seven and seven and a half. They're going to be populating. So in this spot, going to be taking a look at the under and I'm going to be taking the Chicago Cubs. 959-960 on the betting board. You've got the Colorado Rockies playing us the Philadelphia Phillies. Chase Anderson is going to be going for the Phillies. Meanwhile, 
55 shades of John Gray is on the bump for the Colorado Rockies. Rockies anywhere between minus 110 and minus 125. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the fills, you're going to be finding them anywhere between even money and as high as plus 111. And your total on this game, it is 11. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the over, that's anywhere between even and minus 115. Now, when you take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies, it is a little bit of a horse of peace situation. I want to make them a plus 113 underdog. I need to be getting more like minus 113 to take a shot on the Rockies. Right now at Circa, I'm seeing the Rockies at minus 110, so that is going to be appealing to me because with John Gray, last season was a complete and utter disaster for him, but two years ago, he wound up posting up a sub-4 ERA, being a pitcher that throws at Coors on a day-in and day-out basis. That's actually very impressive, and for the Rockies, they wound up getting off to, well, a rocky start with regards to the batting average, and it still is. This is a team as a collective is sitting right around 233 with 24 home runs, considering the fact that they play at Coors Field. That's not necessarily too ideal, but you do have a couple guys. They're doing a solid job for this team. You've got Trevor Story and Remy Altapia starting to come through for them. They're both doing a good job of reaching base. Only a combined four home runs between them, but Ryan McMahon, he's got six home runs. Now, a lot of those came very early, has cooled off ever since then. And you've got to feel like CJ Crone and Charlie Blackman, two guys that wound up entering into yesterday's game, hitting at 200 or lower, are going to be able to pick it up. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. You've got JT Riamito along with Bryce Harper, both hitting above a 300. They both have been absolutely superb. You've gotten four home runs out of Reese Hoskins as well, but Andrew McCutcheon hitting well below the Mendoza line of 200. Gene Segura has been in uh, the full due to injury. Alec Baum, he's hitting right around at 235. He hasn't necessarily been able to pick it up after last season. He was absolutely terrific. And Roman Quinn and whoever they wind up playing at center field at this point has been an abject disaster. So you've got that aspect of it for the Phillies. They did wind up beeping up their bullpen and it is better now. I mean, no question about it. It's not worse than it was last season. David Ailes is able to give you some solid innings. Brandon Kitzler's got off to a rough year, but he's overall a solid pitcher. Jojo Romero, I don't necessarily have a ton of faith in him, but you look at the Rockies as well. They've actually been solid in comparison to the ballpark dimensions with the bullpen so far this year. You've got a guy like Robert Stevenson who's been able to step up. I do like what you're able to get out of guys like Michael Givens, Daniel Bard and company, so I do think that there's a little bit of value here on the Rockies. Willing to lay up to a minus 113. I'm seeing a minus 110 at Circus, so we're going to be taking that. And with this total, set it at 11.1, so an unjuice 11 we're going to be taking over to go along with the Colorado Rockies in this spot. 961-962 on the betting board. You've currently got undecided for the road Miami Marlins as they throw a face off against the San Francisco Giants. We've got no numbers up on this game because we just don't know who's going to be going for the Miami Marlins, but I mean, in this spot, you've got to be thinking that the Marlins are going to be some form of an underdog. We just don't know how much of an underdog it's going to be because Paul Campbell is probably going to be a candidate to wind up getting a start in this spot. you got to think that maybe Ross Detweiler, a guy that has starting experience, he maybe starts a bullpen game for the team. John Curtis with two S's on the end of it. He might be a candidate as well, and it's pretty much going to be all hands on deck. Some like an Anthony Bass is going to need to throw an inning. Richard Blyer has experience going multiple innings. He's probably going to need to throw quite a bit. You could maybe give Jordan Hallway an inning or two, but I mean, this is not necessarily the most ideal of situations. And then you take a look at Logan Webb. He's been used on the bullpen a little bit for the San Francisco Giants himself. So that leads to a very interesting situation there as he's currently got a 587 ERA. He's not looked like himself. 15 and a third innings. Has 16 strikeouts, but 7 walks and 3 home runs surrendered. That's not necessarily ideal, but I will say this. San Francisco, a very pitcher-friendly ballpark for 
one. And for two, he's going to be facing off against the Miami Marlins team that they are towards the bottom of the league in regards to all-power numbers. You take a look at what they wound up having out there yesterday. They had combined six home runs in the starting lineup yesterday. And Chaz Chislam had four of them. So there is that. You've been giving a couple starts to guys like Garrett Cooper is hitting below the Mendoza line. Mangetius Sierra, who wound up entering into yesterday, hitting a 100. John Birdie is hitting right around the Mendoza line. They are giving a couple starts at the catcher spot to Sandy Leon, who is a little bit hit or miss as well. So that's an interesting spot. Meanwhile, for the Giants, it's not like their hitting has necessarily been too terrific themselves. They had one guy in the starting lineup yesterday that was hitting above a 244. That would be Buster Posey, and he's been absolutely terrific for the team. Donovan Solano, whenever he's out there, is good. He seems like he's dealing with an injury. And then you take a look at the flip side. You're probably dealing with a little bit of an injury to the Marte Parte, Starling Marte, so that's going to be a little bit of an issue. And then you take a look at the Giants' bullpen. It is relatively rock solid. You're going to probably need to go to them for quite a few innings, but guys like Wandy Peralta, Tyler Rogers, even Gregory Santos, who wound up just getting called up to the big league level. He's been solid. Now, Matt Whistler, guy that you don't necessarily want to be trusting him, but I'm probably going to be setting this total a little bit higher, personally. Typically, with these Giants versus Marlins games, the total has been a little bit lower just because San Francisco, once again, a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark, and you've got a Marlins team that is not necessarily hitting for a bunch of power, but I'll probably be setting this total a little bit north of 8. With the Miami Marlins, I'm going to be setting them as an underdog. It all depends on who the starting pitcher is. So, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41, but that's sort of my initial thoughts there. 963 and 964 on the betting board. You got the LA Dodgers, and they're going to be playing mostly San Diego Padres. You've got Joe Musgrove going for the pods. Meanwhile, Dustin May is on the bump for the Dodgers. Dodgers are finding themselves as a little bit of a favorite here between minus 120, minus 122. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the pods is anywhere between plus 101 and plus 113. Your total on this game is 7.5. Under is anywhere between minus 115, minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105. When you take a look at this one, this is one in which it's going to depend on the line move that I wind up getting because right now with the Padres, I need at least plus 114 to take them. We're seeing a lot of plus 111. We're seeing a lot of plus 112. So I think that it's going to eventually get there and I'm going to wind up being on the Padres. But right now, I'm in a little bit of wait and see mode. Now, with the total, it's a little bit more cut and dry. I set this at 7.7, so going to be taking a look at the over now. I do recognize the fact that the Dodgers are dealing with some guys that are currently out of the fold. Cody Bellinger is someone that is dealing with injuries, so he is going to be a gentleman that you're not going to wind up seeing in this one. You've also got Kevin Lux on the 10-day injured list, and you just take a look at the lineup in general that they wound up throwing out there yesterday. You've got a bunch of young guys that are in some interesting spots. Sam Noyce has been someone that has been seeing a couple starts recently. Now, I like both of their catchers, Austin Barnes along with Will Smith. Will Smith is able to get jiggy with it, and then you've got guys like Corey Seager, Justin Turner down for what? That have been constants for this team, especially Mr. Turner down for what? Hitting well above a 300 but then you take a look at the Padres. Fernando Tatis Jr. looks like he's back. He was able to hit two home runs in that game on Friday. Trent Grisham is hitting above a 300. Eric Cosmer is hitting right in that neighborhood as well. Manny Machado has been actually a little bit unlucky so far this year, and yet he still has been able to hit right around at 260 with a good on-base. Jay Cronenworth along with Will Myers are both solid. And when you take a look at both of these teams, they've got two of the better rule pens that you're going to find out there in the big leagues with the Dodgers. You've got a bunch of guys who are able to give you multiple innings. Guys like Jimmy Nelson, David Price, who used to be starters. You've still got Corey Knable as well. And when you take a Look at Dustin May. His renaissance has been very good for this team. 22 punch outs over the course of 15 and a third inning so far this season. He's only issued four walks, so he really seems to be coming along as a pitcher. Meanwhile, you take a look at Joe Musgrove. We all recognize, you know, hitter that he wound up having a couple days ago, but he passed that. It's still been solid. 2 and 2 record, but a 104 ERA. He's given up three walks in 26 innings ago with 37 punch outs, so he no doubt has been absolutely superb for this Padres team. And the Padres have the best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. You've got 
got guys like Emilio Pagan, Mark Melanson, even someone like a Drew Pomerantz has been able to come in, give this team some solid innings. So I take a look at that, then that is pretty appealing. I'm probably going to wind up taking the plus price here with the Padres, just need a little bit of a line move. And then when you take a look at both of these lineups, I think both are going to be able to get going a little bit more. This is going to be a primetime game, but it's at 4 o'clock p.m. Pacific time instead of 6.10. So the conditions are going to be a little bit more hitter-friendly at the front half of it until you wind up getting into twilight. So we're going to be going with this total over, and I'm going to be taking the San Diego Padres most likely as long as we get plus 114 or better. 965, 966 on the betting board. You've got the Oakland A's hitting the road face off against the Baltimore Orioles. John Means is going to be going for the Orioles. Meanwhile, it is currently listed as to be determined for the Oakland A's. Right now, I'm showing Asus Lazardo in a lot of the projections. So right now, I have it projected as Asus Lazardo. You got this number up in one spot. That would be Heritage Straw in the game is 9.5 under is minus 120. The over is even. If you're looking at the A's, minus 124 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Orioles, they are plus 115. And the way I look at it, in order to have a take on the Orioles, I need at least plus 123. So we're in the vicinity here with the Oakland A's. I said them at minus 123. So pretty much on the number at this minus 124. I'd probably wind up taking it, but obviously I'd be shopping around for the best number. This is a number that's currently only up at one shop, but set this total at 8.7, so I do anticipate a little bit of an under, and I think that a lot of people are underrating John Means. He has looked absolutely terrific at four starts so far this year. 23 and two-thirds innings. He's given up just two home runs. Buck 52 ERA. Meanwhile, for Lazardo, he's someone that is very good at home. On the road, he has not been himself. You just take a look back at the 2020 season. He wound up having a road ERA of an 8 one is not necessarily ideal. Now, that was only a four-game sample size last season, but still wound up giving up six home runs in 17 and two-thirds innings. Now, he is also going up against a Baltimore Orioles team that they're not necessarily ripping the cover off the ball, and that's putting it very politely. You take a look at this lineup going into yesterday. You had one guy in the starting lineup that was hitting above a 255. Now, you've got DJ Stewart, Miguel Franco, Pedro Severino, Freddie Galvez, all in between a 250 and a 255. So, they're on that vicinity, but, I mean, Trey Boomer Mancini is the only starter yesterday that had more than two home runs. So that's a little bit tough Cedric Mullins is able to get on base, but then you take a look at the Oakland A's. You do have some firepower with the C. Matt Olson hitting a 328 with six home runs. He's been terrific. Jed Lowry is getting on base, hitting above a 300. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Marcana. 260 batting average, but an on base that is supreme as well. Now, Sam Murphy is someone that needs to pick it up at the catcher spot. Mitch Moreland, we sort of know what he is at this point, but also for the Oakland A's, bullpen has been great for this team. J.B. Wendelkin is someone that's able to give you some solid innings. Lou Trevino is someone I like now. Submergio Romo, and I call them Submergio on purpose. Not necessarily great, but Jake Diekman is someone I trust in as well. And for the Orioles, this is a team that they've done a little bit of a better job of being able to bring in some bullpen arms as well. They wound up having to give a little bit of a spot start to Wade LeBlanc yesterday as he was a former starter and he wound up getting the ball. Adam Plutko is someone that's able to give you innings as well, but Tanner Scott, Cole Solzer, Dylan Tate, even Cesar Valdez, all these guys are able to come out of the bullpen. They're able to give you a little bit of something. So that's the reason why I've got the Oakland A's hovering right around a minus 123, minus 124 four-ish favorites, so that's why I wind up being there, and like I said, if we wind up getting the 9.5 that I'm seeing right now in the total, I'm going to be taking it under. Check back in the morning my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41, but that's where we stand on that game. 9.67, 9.68 on the bank bar. You've got the Boston Red Sox and they're going to be playing with the Seattle Mariners. Nick Medigovicious is going to be going for the Mariners. Meanwhile, you've got Eduardo Rodriguez going for the Boston Red Sox. Your total on this game, anywhere between 9 and 9.5 on the 9. Your over 
unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even and minus 110 on the 9 and a half. Unders anywhere between minus 120 and minus 115. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Red Sox, sizable favorites here. As high as minus 220, as low as minus 203. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Seattle Mariners, anywhere between plus 176, seeing as high as a plus 187. And I do think that this is a spot in which it's gotten up too lofty. I thought setting the Red Sox as a minus 184 favorite was like going out there and being daring, but I mean, at north of $2, it's just not a take for me. I take a look at the Boston Red Sox, no question. They've been able to do a great job of being able to rip the cover off the ball, but you know what? The Seattle Mariners offense is starting to write itself as well. You get back Kyle Lewis yesterday, he wound up being out of the fold for the team, but you still have in there Mitch Haniger and Ty France at the top. Two guys are hitting above at 290 for this bunch. Kyle Seager, he's been able to come around with the bat. He was able to have a double and a triple yesterday, so he was certainly able to come through for this team. You've been able to get a little bit of something at the bottom of the lineup as well. You've got 265 batting average with Sam Haggerty, who's been able to do some solid work now. Jorge Mamaloes along with Evan White and Taylor Trammell, all in below the Mendoza line is not ideal, but then you take a look at the Boston Red Sox. You do have quite a few guys hitting above a three Each out of their first top four hitters yesterday, Christian Royal, Alex Verdugo, J.D. Martinez, and Xander Bogarts, all are Rafael Devers, has been able to do a good job of ripping the cover off the ball as well, but with the Red Sox, well, you've got to fear is a bullpen. Phillips Valdez wound up giving up two runs out of the bullpen. He's not going to be able to be used in this one. You've got Adam Adovino, who has had success in the past, but you've got him along with Hurakazu Sawamura, who's going to be coming out there. You're probably going to be relying upon someone like Darwinson Hernandez. That's not necessarily what you want. And for the Seattle Mariners, I will say, their bullpen has actually been pretty solid. Rafael Montero has been able to do a good job of coming in for the team. Will Vest has been good in some solid spots. Keenan Middleton can be a little bit hit or miss, but he's a guy that's able to give you some nice fireballs down the middle, and you've also got a guy that I like in Casey Sadler as well, so that is a bit appealing with the Mariners. Now, I don't know what you're going to be able to get out of Nick Maragovicius. He is someone that, throughout his career, has been very up and down. I still remember him with the Padres. It was not ideal, and so far this year, 11 and two-thirds innings, he has given up two home runs, but swing miss stuff seems to be getting a little bit better, and for Eduardo Rodriguez, he has been doing a much better job with command than his last full season in 2019. Two walks in 16 innings, actually led the league in 2019 when it came to walks issue, but he always seems to get run support as well, which I think is very fascinating with both of these starters on the mound. I do think they're going to get plenty of runs. I wound up saying this total at 10. We've seen a lot of overs in this series. I think that that's going to continue. And like I said, as long as I'm getting plus 184 here, I'm going to be taking a look at the Mariners and pretty much all spots wind up having this at at least a plus 185. So plus price here with the Mariners is a play along with this total over. 969, 970 on the betting board. You got the New York Yankees hit the road face off against the Cleveland Indians. Tristan McKenzie is going to be going for the Indians. Meanwhile, Jamison Tyon is going to be going for the Yankees. Toronto's game is anywhere between 8 and 8.5. And on the 8.5, under is juice minus 120. The over is even. On the 8, your over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. With the Yankees, finding them as a favorite anywhere between minus 115 and minus 126. Plus price here with the Tribe is anywhere between plus 105. Seeing them as high as plus 115. And in this spot, I am going to be taking a look at the Cleveland Indians. I needed at least a plus 110 to be able to take them. Seeing a plus 115, that is very appealing because with the Cleveland Indians, I know that they've gotten a little off to a little bit of a rocky start to begin the year, but I do believe that these guys are going to be starting to hit a little bit more. Jose Ramirez is not going to be spending the year below a 250 with yards. So his batting average, Eddie Rosario is going to pick it up at some point. Frame El Reyes, Lon Josh Taylor, both of these guys hitting a 250 or greater. Roberto Perez, Jake Bowers, 
Pereira of guys are even below the Mendoza line, along with Amid Rosario and Cesar Hernandez. They're going to be able to do a little bit better. And for the Yankees, this is a team that they're going to be able to hit as well. Aaron Judge just has not necessarily been able to get those home runs like he's used to. Four home runs so far this season, which is actually down from. Now, John Carlos Stanton being able to hit a pair of home runs a few days ago. That was very good for the team. DJ LeMayu, along Gio Rochelle, are still guys that are able to get on base. Now, Aaron Hicks, Clint Frazier, they have not been good, but you've been able to find a little bit of something out of Kyle Higashioka, who I think at this point should be starting instead of Gary Sanchez, personally. But you take a look at both of these bullpens. Both of them are relatively rock solid with the Yankees. You've got Aroldis Chapman. You've got Chad Green, Darren O'Day. All these guys are able to do a solid job. But with the Indians as well, this is one of the best teams with regards to bullpen ERA the last couple years. It's going to continue. They wind up getting rid of Brian Hand, but I mean, they still got Brian Shaw. They've still got Trevor Steven. Nick Wickren has been a hot mess for the scene, but Emmanuel Clace has been able to do a good job. James Karinczak is someone that I do like, so I do think that McKenzie, a little bit of a younger starter, but a guy that's able to throw some meat, has been able to do a solid job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. Two home runs given up in 12 and a third inning so far this season, but I do think that he's doing a better job of being able to keep that ball down. He is going to be able to come through. Now, the 10 walks in 12 and two-thirds innings is very... I guess you could call him troublesome, but last season, he was doing a better job with command. I think that he's going to be able to do a good job of finding the zone here, and with Jamison Tyon, he has been a little bit intermiss himself. He wound up giving up one run in five innings against the Braves, which was very solid in his last start, but he's also given up three home runs in 13 and a third innings. He pretty much missed the entire 2020 season as well, so you have some concerns there. I think that this is going to be a game in which the Cleveland Indians are going to be able to take, so I'm going to be taking the plus price here. I wound up saying this whole eight and a half. You do have a guy in Tyon who I don't think is going to give you a ton of length, and a guy in McKenzie who has had a little bit of a tough time finding the zone. So we're taking the over, and we're going to be taking the plus price here with the Indians. I-71, on the betting board. The Detroit Tigres are going to be playing us to the Kansas City Royals. Danny Duffy, the tough man, is going to be going for the Royals. Meanwhile, Michael Fulmer is on the bump for the Detroit Tigers. Your total on this game is anywhere between 7.5 and 8. With the 8, the under is just a minus 120, and the over is even. On the 7.5, over and under, both are at minus 110. If you're looking at the Royals, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 125 and minus 140. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Detroit Tigers is anywhere between plus 115 and plus 122. And I take a look at this one, and I actually do think that you've got a little bit of value here on the Tigers. I need at least a plus 122 to be able to take a look at them, but we're seeing that at quite a few of these books. And with Michael Fulmer, he has been able to come back, and he's been able to look relatively rock solid for this bunch. I'm not saying that he's going to go out there and light the world on fire, but 394 ERA, 15 punch outs at 16 innings. He's only issued two walks, so he's doing a good job with his command. Meanwhile, for Duffy, how about him? Three starts so far this year, 18 innings, 0.50 ERA. He's given up one solo home run, and that's it. So that is impressive, and you do have a bullpen mismatch here. As the Kansas City Royals, one of the top bullpens out there in the big leagues. Tigers, they are dead last, but you take a look at it. Josh Shamont wanted pitching 15 pitches yesterday. Scott Barlow was used, so that's going to hurt them. Greg Holland is on the injured list, so you're going to be looking at someone like a Kyle Zimmer to be able to come in. Tyler Zuber is probably going to give you a little bit of something as well. And with the Royals, you've got good consistency up and down the lineup. You've got Michael Taylor, Whitmere, Field, Salvador, Perez, Nicky Lopez. Only between a 260 and a 275 now. You do want to note that you're getting quite a bit out of Perez. He's had so many game-winning hits and home runs that he's been able to come through. Ore Soler, you've got to have a feeling he's going to hit better than a 217. He has been off to a little bit of a rough start this year. Carlos Santana, 227 batting average with a 360 on base. So he's going to be able to do a relatively solid job. And then for the Detroit Tigers, your best hitters at this point, 
Schweiner, Jameer Candelario, and Akil Badu. Badu has been able to give the team four home runs. He's hitting a 260 game winning hit for him about a week and a half ago as well. Hero Castro is hitting a 300, but you do have a couple guys that they need to pick it up. Grayson Griner, Jonathan Scope, Victor Reyes, Jacoby Jones. All guys hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. Wilson Ramos is only hitting a 221. Willie Castro, 216 batting average. So that's been a little bit of an issue for this team, but I do think that the Tigers are going to be able to get a relatively solid start here out of Fulmer. There should be some regression coming in for Danny Duffy as well. So that is something that I take a look at. And with this game, I do recognize that it's being played in Detroit in April, but I feel like this is a total that's a little bit too low. You don't necessarily have a home run happy team and the Tigers are looking to play a little bit more station to station baseball. And I think that they're going to be able to do that. So going to be taking this total over. I wound up saying at 8.7. So the over and the Tigers will play here. 973, 974 on the bang board. The Toronto, a.k.a. Dunedin Blue Jays are going to be in the road to face off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Rays are right now to be determined, but it looks like it's going to be Josh Fleming who's going to be going for them. Meanwhile, Unjin Ru is going to be going for the Toronto Blue Jays. Only place that currently has this game up is Heritage. The under has juice of minus 115 on 7. And the over of 7, minus 105. If you're looking at the Rays, you're finding them as minus 159 favorites. And the plus price here with the Blue Jays is plus 149. I'm going to assume that this is a typo. So, there is that aspect of it. Because if you're giving me plus 149 with Mr. Unjin Ryu, I am certainly going to take it. And my personal numbers have the Blue Jays as a minus 116 favorite, so that means that the Rays are plus 116, and my personal total is 7.2, so 7.5 or higher, going to be taking a look at the under. At 7, I'd be taking a look at the over, but you take a look at the Blue Jays, they were able to jump all aboard the Rays yesterday very early on, being able to hang at 3 spot in the first inning, so that's something that you do like to see as the Toronto Blue Jays have a couple guys that are mashing, and a couple guys that are just absolutely awful right now. As you've got Boba Shett hitting right around at 273, Randall Gritchick was able to hit a home run yesterday, he's above a 300, Vlad Guerrero Jr., right around a 500 on base, but Rowdy Tellez, Marcus Simeon, Lourdes Gurriel, Alejandro Kirk, John Davis, Kevon Biggio, all hitting a 215 or lower for this bunch. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays, you've got a little bit more balance. Yes, you've got Randy Orozarena hitting just below a 300. Yandy Diaz has been able to hit right around a 260. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Kevin Kiermaier since he's come off the injured list, but even their guys, Brandon Lau, Mark Brasso, Mike Zanino, Brett Phillips, and Willie Adams, all guys are rating a 200 or lower going into yesterday's contest, so that is a little bit of an issue. And you take a look at the Blue Jays, top bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. Despite the fact that you're without Julian Merriweather right now, these guys have been able to get the job done. Guys like Rafael Dolis, Trent Thornton, whenever you need them in long relief, Tim Maza, they've been able to do their part. And for the race, this is not the same bullpen that it was a couple years ago. You don't have Nick Anderson. Currently, you've got an injury to Chaz Rowe as well, so that has been a little bit of an issue. You've looked to Lewis Head now for relief innings. Jeffrey Springs, Hunter Strickland, it certainly is not ideal what you're getting out of the team right now. Though I will say, for Josh Fleming, he is someone that has actually been very good for the team. In two starts so far this year, he has been able to give the team 10 and a third innings, 0.87 ERA, gave up a solo home run, really nothing else. And not much of a swing and miss guy, only five punch outs so far this year. And for you, you know what you're going to be able to get out of him. Two walks of 24 innings. He's a mastermind at being able to go deep into games because he just doesn't use up too many unnecessary pitches, which is why I currently have the Blue Jays as a slight favorite. And like I said, 7.5 or I are going to be taking a look at the under. 7 or lower going to be taking a look at the over. We move on to 975, 976 on the bank board. The Chicago White Sox are going to be playing us the deck. 
Texas Rangers. Koji Iwahara is going to be going for the Rangers. Meanwhile, Lucas Gilito is on the pump for the White Sox. White Sox are finding themselves as a sizable favorite here. Anywhere between minus 220 and minus 230. Meanwhile, your plus price here on the locker, Texas Rangers. Anywhere between plus 185. Seeing Zai is a plus 205. Draw this game 7.5. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105. Meanwhile, the under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. I don't understand why we've got a Koji Iwahara start. We've got a total of 7.5. I'm going to be taking this thing over with Iwahara. He has been actually able to do a solid job of keeping the ball in the yard and keeping his ERA down. 221 ERA. One home run given up in 20 and a third innings. Not much of a swing of this guy. 13 punch outs in 20 and a third innings. While he's with the Nippon and Fighters last season, he actually wound up having a sub-500 record and he wound up getting right around 7.5 strikeouts per 9 innings. So I think that regression is going to come in. Meanwhile, for Lucas Giolito, in his last start, he got completely destroyed against the Boston Red Sox. So my fans are butts about it. Completed one inning. He gave up something like seven runs. It was an advent disaster. But, I mean, 26 punch outs in 18 and two-thirds innings. He is a guy that's only given up three home runs so far this season, despite that absolutely terrible start. And you take a look at the White Sox. This is a team that you know that they're going to be able to hit. You've got Tim Anderson back. He's hitting above a 325 for this bunch. Adam Eaton has been able to provide a little bit of something with a trio of home runs. 16 RBI going into yesterday. You know that Mr. Jose Abreu is going to be able to bust out of his funk as he, for the year, has been not necessarily doing his part 205 batting average. Giovanni Grandel has been cold as well, but you remember Mercedes continuing to hit above a 400 is nice. And for the Texas Rangers, you want to be taking a look at their splits. At home, they're averaging 2.1 runs per game. They have been absolutely terrible there, but on the road, they're averaging more like 5.5 runs per game. So they've been able to do their part with that regard. Nick Solak has been able to get on base. He, Jose Trevino, along with Adolius Garcia, only between a 268 and a 280. You've got Charlie Culverson back. He's hitting right around to 260. Willie Calhoun has come back in the fourth. Not necessarily hitting for a power, bunch of power, but he's giving you a little bit of something, so that's trustworthy. Now, with the Rangers, bullpen has been absolutely terrible for this team, and you want to be using up a lot of long relief on Friday. Zane Dunning, well, he went to in a third inning, so Kyle Cody had to be used for multiple innings. You wound up having to send out there a guy in Kobe Aller to throw a bunch of pitches, so John King, Jolie Rodriguez, Brett guys, they're going to be called upon in this one. And for the White Sox, bullpen seems to be improving, but you wound up having Liam Hendricks used up for a five-out save a couple days ago. Now you still have Garrett Crochet, Michael Kopech, guys that you're able to rely upon in that regard as well. And when you take a look at the White Sox, I do think that you're going to be able to get a good start here out of Giolito, but I mean, I was only able to make this right around White Sox minus 177. Being able to get nearly plus $2 here with the Rangers with the way that they hit on the road is appealing. And I wound up setting this total at 9.2, so we're going to be taking the Rangers with the plus price and this total over 977, 978 on the betting board. Houston Astros are going to be playing with the LA Angels. Dylan, don't call me Al Bundy is going to be going for the Halos. Meanwhile, Lance McCullers is on the bump for the Astros. Astros are finding themselves as a minus 131 favorite at Circa. Angels plus 120. Total is 8.5. Under is just a minus 115. The over is minus 105. That is currently the only book that is this up other than Heritage, who has a total of 8 with the under at minus 120 and the over at even. And the Astros minus 138. And the Angels at plus 128. And I can tell you right now, I'm going to be taking a look at the Angels in this spot. I want to send them as plus 124 underdogs. So seeing that plus 128 that I am right now, that is sort of appealing. Now, if you're able to get the Astros at more like minus 120-ish, then I'd be in on this. But I don't think that that's going to be the case. You take a look at Dylan Bundy. He is a guy that's able to give you some swing and miss. Now with the Angels, you do want to note that Rossi Iglesias has been doing a terrible job of coming out of the bullpen. We saw him gas can a game a couple days ago, but I mean, with that said, with Bundy, I think that you're going to get some good length here. He's given up four home runs in 24 innings, but he's kept the walks down. 28 strikeouts in that time span as well. 121 whip, so he's able to do something solid. And then for McCullers, he has wound up starting only a couple games so far this season. He's kept the ball in the yard. One home run in 13 and two-thirds innings, but 
you wound up having to start skipped after you wound up getting a little bit roughed up against the Detroit Tigers, and that's just what he'll do. He'll give you a bunch of solid starts, and then he'll give you a big giant turd. Now with the Astros, it looks like the offense has come back to life. They were able to hang double digits on the board yesterday, but for the Angels, this is a team that they've been dealing with not having Mike Trout the last couple days. They said he was going to be coming back on Friday. They said he was going to be coming back on Saturday. It's probably a good thing they didn't come back on either day, but even without him, they've been able to get quite a bit of something out of Shoy Otani along Jared Walsh. Both of these guys have been able to give you some home runs. Otani wound up hitting his sixth last game as he's been able to hit right around a 300. You've also got a guy in Jared Walsh hitting above a 300. Jose Iglesias is hitting a 264. And hey, Albert Pools is giving you a couple home runs and right around a 230 batting average. So take what you can get there. Meanwhile, for the Houston Astros, you wind up being able to get going. Alex Bregman along with Michael Brantley. Both of these guys hitting well above a 300. Now, Jose Altuve did not wind up returning through the fold like we thought he was going to yesterday either, but I mean, even without him, Carlos Correa, Jordan Alvarez, both hitting just below 300. Kyle Tucker has been a little bit of a hot mess, but you're able to get a little bit of something when it comes to wheels out of Miles Straw, and when you take a look at this Houston Astros team, you are going to need to get something out of the bullpen, but that was very much helped out by the fact that Kent Emanuel winds up giving you seven innings on the bullpen yesterday, which I still can't believe. Jake Odorizzi records one out, throws five pitches, and he leaves the game, and somehow, someway, you still get the relief. So that was very impressive, but I, with that said, when you take a look at this Astros team, you do have Ryan Presley, Brooks Raley, Joe Smith, guys I don't necessarily trust out of the bullpen, and really, other than Rossi Iglesias, the bullpen of the Angels has not necessarily been too bad. Now, it got tags, and it got tags heavily yesterday as Junior Guerra wound up having to throw 35 pitches. Steve Ciszek, not going to be coming back for this team. Ben Rowan is not going to be coming back, but you still do have someone like an Alex Claudio that you're able to rely upon. You still have another guy that I really do like that's able to give you a couple innings in Mike Myers as well, so you do still have guys out there in this Angels bullpen that are going to be able to hold down the fort now because you wind up having a little bit of a depleted bullpen. I did wind up saying this total at 8.7, so I'm going to be taking a look at this over as long as I'm getting a plus 124 or better. I'm going to be taking a look at the Angels in this spot. And we wrap things up with 979-980 on the betting board. This was to be determined before I came on this podcast, but the Pirates have settled on a starter as it's going to be William Crow as they hit the road to face off against the Minnesota Twins and they're going to be going with Matt Shoemaker. The Twins are. This is not up anywhere because I'm doing this literally as Mr. Crow was announced as the starter and I can tell you right now I'm going to be setting the Twins as a sizable favorite in the spot. I want to making them a minus 174 favorite approximately. I just have absolutely no faith whatsoever in Will Crow. I mean, this is just pretty much a deficit of the doubt there as he is someone that he really has a pitch so far this year. Well, I watched him with the Nationals last year. To say that I was not impressed with him would be a little bit of an understatement. He's pretty much being called up from the alternate site to be able to make this start. Now, for the Pirates, you actually do have a decent bullpen. Dwayne Underwood Jr. is going to be able to come out. He's going to be able to give you multiple innings if needed. Same how has been able to do a good job of being able to hold down the fort. Jeff Hartley has come off the injured list. He's able to give you a little bit of something. And then you take a look at the Minnesota Twins. This is a team that has been very much hit or miss recently this season as you've had a couple performances in which they've scored double digits. Yesterday, they wind up scoring two. You've got Williams Astadio sitting nearly at 300 for this bunch. Josh Donaldson and Byron Buxton are hitting nearly a 400 apiece. And for Buxton and Nelson Cruz, these guys have been ripping the cover off the ball for Cruz. They get 328 with six home runs. Buxton has six bombs as well, so that's been solved. Luis Urias has been able to give you a little bit of something, but guys like Jake Cave, even a guy out there like a Ryan Jeffers has not been able to hit very well. For the Pirates, you've actually got some balance with this team. Colin Moran has been able to do a solid job 
towards the middle of the lineup, hitting right around at 263. Gable to give you a little bit of power. Adam Frazier along with Brian Reynolds, both hitting in the 290s. Now, towards the bottom of the lineup is where things get a little bit dicey. The Todd Father, Todd Frazier, he's got as many hits as myself, Michael Perez, Kevin Newman, along with Gregory Palunco are all hitting below the Mendoza line of 200, but you have been able to get some reliable pitching out of the starters as well, so this is a bullpen that is going to be relatively rested. And for the Twins, you still have a good bullpen with this team as well. They just haven't necessarily gotten the starts that they have desired the last couple days. I do like what you're able to get out of Enzo Robles. Tyler Rogers is very solid. Now, it has been very tough for Alex Colmey so far this year. Randy Dominic, someone that I don't necessarily have a lot of faith in, but in this spot, I do think that Will Crow is going to get hit, and he's going to get hit hard. I'd be willing to lay a little bit of a price here on a run line of the Twins. I'm going to be setting it so that I need to get at least plus 175 to take a shot here on the Pittsburgh Pirates. And with this total, I set it at 9.7. So, 9.5 or lower, going to be a take on the over. 10 or higher, going to be a take on the under. And that will wrap things up for the baseball betting podcast on this wonderful Sunday. Big thanks to Ryan Horvath. He is out there in the great state of Milwaukee, Wisconsin with 12.50 The Fan. And if you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You've got one or two ways to be firing questions if you have them for this podcast. My Twitter timeline at JarenSquarty1. Keep in mind the letter CM. They mean does not matter. Other ways via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you into there. Always appreciate you guys tuning in. I'll be coming at you guys every single day of this baseball season with regards to sides, totals, and analysis. And heck, during the All-Star break, I'll probably still be giving you guys a couple shows as well. And that means I'll be coming at you guys once again tomorrow as well. Thank you so much for tuning in.